it's in a way it's even a, there's a greater challenge to it because it's like, you've got just like, if you're doing it, let's say legs would be heavy set, a light set, and then a widow maker. Um, that's all you got. You don't have any other opportunities. All or nothing, baby. You got to make it happen in those three sets. Hey, what's up, guys? You are watching Muscle Minds, the most sciencey podcast we have here on the network. Today, Scott Stevenson and I are going to discuss tactics to bring up a legging body part, scheduling a deload. Is it good for you to absolutely destroy legs during your leg training? bringing up your leg development, especially as you get older. And we have an IFBB Pro listener who's attempting to bring up their legs while dealing with knee pain. Guys, all of that and a bunch more. I've got timestamps below if you want to skip around. And listen, guys, if you're new here and you want to make the best progress you can in bodybuilding, then you need to learn. I encourage you to hit the subscribe button. We've got a ton of free education here. Guys like Scott Stevenson, dude, he put like 100 pounds on Jordan Peters. He coached Dave Henry through most of his career. He co-wrote John Meadows' book, and he's here today to freely educate you, so take advantage of it. All right, guys, let's get to the program. I, I told you Andrea Watson came out uh, oh, yeah. for a few days, and... We got some good training in, and so one of the things we we kind of problem solved with her is, you know, she did it. She had done powerlifting, then she got into figure, and now we moved to bikini. And there's really like no reason for her to grow her back any bigger than she has. Okay. And if anything, it's like she she has a lot of back going on. So she at times almost has to like pinch it together more to like hide it a little bit. Plus the hair hides it, you know. Um, Interesting. Yeah. One thing that we Too were traps and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And just like back density, you know, like they don't want right. a girl with like, you know, a, a thick, uh, a thick, right. thick back for bikini. Yeah. Um, but what we kind of figured out was we were like, hey, let's try this. So we're not like we're still going to train back, but we're going to pull it way, 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 way down. And uh, we're going to try to like not take it to failure. And basically because she does need to bring up her glutes. Like that's the only thing. If we can get, you know, bikini bikini okay. girl can always use more glutes, and yeah. she's made a There's huge no limit there. <laughs> right. She's made huge progress in the last year. But one of our thoughts is is that, you know, why spend some of her recovery on back? We might be able to shoot another body part ahead by reducing an area by by not basically wasting her recoverability on an area that doesn't need to grow. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, you got like sort of a universal pool of recovery ability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and you can you can distribute that as you will, but why waste it on something you're not actually even wanting to necessarily recover? You want it, you know. Yeah. You don't care about it so much. It's gonna that, stay. She's not gonna lose much, even if she stopped training her back, probably. Yeah, yeah, and we're gonna we're taking it like way way down. It's not gonna be a lot, and I'm sure you're right. She probably won't lose anything with it. But that was a that was a direct result of Muscle Minds, like that whole concept oh. that we're going with there. Oh, right on. Yeah, yeah. Process yeah. of like it, talking to you over the years. It just that's what made sense, you know. Yeah, I've got um. That's in my shameless plug. Be your own bodybuilding coach book is one of the bringing up a weak muscle group is one of the. Um, example goals 
So I picked the idea of, you know, at the beginning of the book, goals are so important. Like, know what you're trying to do. You know, we do this because it feels good in some way, shape, or form, either the delayed gratification or we like the workout or we like how we look or we like the community or some combination thereof and various other things probably too. Yeah. Um, But also having that goal as something specific that you're shooting for um, is going to obviously – going to help you get to some place from where you currently are from point a to point b to z eventually so you got to have something sort of specific so one of those is of course bringing up a weak muscle group and i introduced that idea i think i have some examples too of how someone could shift you know you just take whatever strong almost everyone's got a stronger muscle group they've got Mm -hmm. something that grows you know some people say nothing is but relative to the other there's something that can be probably cut in half volume wise and maintained yeah and as long as you maintain your performance in the gym um, there's really kind of you, logically, you know, you think about this. There's some volumization that happens with glycogen storage and those sorts of things that comes from higher volume training. But if you start off and you can do 200 pounds for 10 reps at the end of the year and you're doing 12 sets per week and then you drop it down and, you, and you're doing six sets per week and you can still do 12 reps with 200 pounds, then you're not, you haven't lost any muscle mass pretty much. Sure. You know, sure. it's assuming the exercise isn't something, you know, it's something you've just learned or what have you. It's a stable performance type of exercise been doing for years. You're going to keep that muscle so that you can take all that recovery ability and shift it wherever you need it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, where I, I see people, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's when we have a real strong body part. I feel like we really want need to bring something else up, but man, does it ever feel good Fun. to train whatever body part right. that is, you know, yeah. my shoulders, whatever, my legs, you know, yeah. you have that strong body part and it's like, you still want to be able to push that to the max each week. Cause it's like, you kind of tie your identity as a bodybuilder to that, that lift that you do so well when maybe yeah. if you were to back off that, like, Hey, yeah, your shoulders aren't going to go anywhere. Yeah, that's that's been kind of an evolution of thought over time to think that we have this this overall, as you you're you're saying here, just kind of reiterate overall pool of recoverability. And if your shoulders are already good, why why take a piece of that? I, I love mm-hmm. that idea. It makes sense. So we'll see if it works for Andrea because like you know she's already right up there. You know, it's already top five mm-hmm. competitor at the national level. She's missed her pro card by one point or one place, not one point, one place. So it's like. Yeah. But when we when we get back into it this next season, we want to make sure it's like I want her to be bulletproof, you know. Has that been a comment the judges have have sent her direction that she's yeah she needs some, back muscle. No, nothing about the back, but about the glutes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's funny with bikini because like your hair works as a curtain basically. Oh to, yeah. You yeah. know, all you really see are the delts. You see like the rear and side delts because they kind of like get that pinch back thing. And uh-huh. you see the delts and then the rest of it is hair and then, you know, booty. And that's right. And that's it. You know, what, what's the current standard way of back present? Is it is it should you leave the hair down? Yes. Or should you? OK, so yeah. don't, uh, removing the flipping the hair so that you can see the back is not. No, 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 that's not a bikini thing. But I mean, that's more okay. like physique figure. They don't even care about seeing your back in bikini. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. Uh, it's part of the feminine presentation. Is the is if you have long hair. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I I'm trying to think. Like now, when I think about it, I think short-haired women are strongly underrepresented in the bikini division. Yeah, none right? of them, as far as I know. I I can't I think like because I know the. 
I, I see a lot of girls that if they don't have long hair, they wear extensions for the division, you know? What if they put just put them in just for the show because they know that's part of? Oh the, yeah, yeah they do. The yeah, or wigs. Yeah. you know all that. It's yeah. like they, there's a lot of that that we as bodybuilders we don't think about that side as much. You know what I mean? Right. Like we think you know Saturday morning get ready for the show. We got to have your tan on. Of course you got to be have your water and your carbs situated. Right. But you know girls are like getting up at three forty five a m to start working on their makeup and hair, and it's like um it's a it's a whole other world, you know dude, I'm so psyched so I'm, I'm getting my suit on Saturday and a new hair piece on Monday. It's all gonna be together, it's all coming together. It's gonna be awesome like what I'm, I'm having a fake mustache but extension in mustache extension, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I'm doing a I'm doing a cop routine, you know, yeah. for the night show, and I gotta have a like a super fuzz, you know, mustache. <laughs> All right, we should oh, probably man. intro this thing, oh. uh, guys. You're watching yeah. Muscle Minds with Scott Stevenson. Uh, check out our great sponsors, TrueNutrition.com. You can use our code Think. Check out MPA Muscle Intrusion, and I have to say the MPA Muscle Intrusion is one of my favorite intra workout products. It tastes fantastic. Good quality, highly branched cyclic dextrin. Use our code Think for some additional savings. And if you're in Canada. Check out supplementsource.ca. You can get blowout deals on top name supplements. You get a pre-workout for like 15 bucks. So go check it out. And you can get some some ephedra there, some ephedrine. So check out some ephedrine. Um, and we are also, of course, brought to you by, you can't see it in my shot here, but I've got the Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach uh, book in the background. You can get the hardcover or you can get the, uh, oh, Scott, I bet Scott's got it right I there. Ha I have one. Yeah, I'm like, where's mine at? Oh, there it is, a little dusty. You get the hardcover over at Amazon, Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach, or byobbcoach.com. You can save yourself some money by getting the ebook if you want to go that route. I like the hardcover personally. Uh, Scott, we, we had a lot of great feedback on the last episode. Um, people enjoyed that instead of taking like one topic and diving ultra deep, like L-carnitine or something like that, that we, right. we tackled like a whole bunch of stuff. And so I thought a fun way to follow that up might be to do it again. And okay. uh, I know I've got a few questions uh, from our Patreon, by the way, thank you to all of our Patreon people. You guys are freaking awesome. appreciate your support. Yeah. Uh, and we also had, uh, I think a couple questions from the Facebook group. I'll just grab, let's see, whatever we had here to start. I'm not, it's kind of like a random, a random pick here. Um, oh, yeah, how about this one here? This is from Jason. He says, uh, is it important to schedule deload periods into your program, or is it acceptable to go by feel and intuition? Every time I try to schedule a deload, I feel like I'm missing something, and it drives me nuts. Thank you for the great information, guys. I can relate to this question a lot. Yeah. Um, I'm going to answer this total, like, bro, in the bro style. Like, did Ronnie have deloads? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I mean, the idea of, of a deload is just, we're just, it's a formalization of what bodybuilders have been doing for years by intuitively planning that out i mean you like you've got a sort of a spectrum of approaches here you got like old school it's like i just competed i'm a wreck i need to take a break so i take a break i'm just applying common sense yeah or you know let's look at like eastern block athletes and how they're like structuring everything like go back to like matviev and the the origins of periodization you know where you've got to have everything like really really well structured 
So there's there's workable and solutions everywhere in between. Yeah. In these cases. So um yeah, intuition and feel totally <laughs> will get the job done. But the question is, are you getting where you want to go physique wise in doing that? Or are you allowing your um obsessive compulsive tendencies to drive you to do more than what behooves you in terms of recovery. And so I'll, I'll toss out a couple of thoughts. Um, one is like, like, are you going, where you, are you getting where you want you? Do you have the sense if you're really honest with yourself that, Hey, you know, I'm doing too much. Like I, I need to take a break or, um, and you can kind of answer that question. I've got so many examples of this, but there's some a couple main ones. If you've ever been forced to take a break and noticed that in doing so, all of a sudden, when you come back, you haven't lost anything and maybe even got stronger. This can happen when you get sick. Happened when I was a kid in high school. I was hmm. doing, I was swimming and getting ready for football. And my junior year out playing football, I, I had the tendency, like when I couldn't go around, I'd try to dive over people sometimes. Try to dive over someone, I got hit in the leg, got a thigh bruise, and then I got sick at the same time. And this was like two weeks into the season. I was on my ass for a week doing nothing. And I felt awful, hardly eating. We had started an off-season lifting program that was like just some standardized stuff. And it's kind of like you either you're the 155 level or the 175 level or the 195 level or whatever. And you just do two sets. Follows kind of mini pyramid on like incline press. And then there was like just basic maintenance, you know, twice a week. I yeah. came back and did that. And my strength leapt forward. It's just his upper body. I couldn't do legs. My strength, because I was doing so much, I didn't know. I'm a kid. I'm just like, you know, I'm just going and going and going. Sure. I, I went from getting like eight, like, I don't know what the numbers were. Let's say it was 155. I went from getting like eight reps with 155 to getting 25 reps. Wow. Yeah. It was like I misloaded the bar. Like, what's going on here? Are these fake plates? Like, are these made of foam? What a lesson um, to have learned there. Oh, you know? it was just crazy. Yeah. And I was, it wasn't like I was eating and recovering. It wasn't like I was, wasn't doing like hot, warm, you know, ice baths and warm saunas and massage and, yeah. you know, eating up because I'd been in a deficit or anything like that. I felt like shit. I was literally about as sick as I can remember, remember being in my life and in pain because of this thigh bruise thing. And, so recovery during that week was was suboptimal for sure, but it was recovery nonetheless. Yeah, because I wasn't doing all this training. So I'd been, you know, we went into this thing. I was, I think I may have talked about this training program. It's a hundred sets three times a week, or ninety eight sets three times a week. Good. And God. I was on the swim team. I was, so I was swimming and doing um, doing like two and a half hours of cardio. The lifting took four hours, three times a week to get through all those sets. I bet. Yeah. And I went through all this. So we got in, we did two a days and then we had one week of the season and then, the, and we had, a, and we had a, had a game after two days. And then we had one week of normal practice and then I hurt my leg. And then I had that week off of doing nothing. Yeah. And it was crazy. Happened with fortitude training. I had a, one of my, this is one of my, this is my favorite intensive cruise story. Um, one of the early, one of my early clients was a math mathematician. Actually, he was a t taught math maths in school. He's a Brit, and so and he taught actually high level gifted kids, like calculus, this kind of stuff. So he's like he's not you know he's, he's no slouch in mathematics himself because he's teaching like genius level kids who are high performers in math, 
And he went through, we pushed really hard. He made great gains during his first blast. And he actually went longer than normally you would just because he was in a good place for that. And finally, he took a recovery, took a break, and did basically his first deload of his entire life, hmm. the way I've set it up in fortitude training. So it's an intensive cruise. You drop your volume down, you drop your frequency down, and then you finish out the period with doing nothing for about one third, one half, one third of the, of the total time you've taken in the deload. So it's a taper, basically. I've taken this from the sports physiology, sport performance literature. He came back in and he picked loads that he figured he was going to get 10 or 12 reps with on his loading sets. And he got like 23, 24 reps. Wow. And he's like, he's like, <clears throat> okay, fuck, I, I dropped. He, he's, he messaged me after the second workout that like, he's like, Scott, I thought I was like, what? I was embarrassed. He was embarrassed. He didn't mess me up the first one because he's like, what's wrong with me? I don't know how to log my weights. Yeah. I can't count. I can't add. Like, what's going on? I'm a mathematics teacher. This was so funny. Like, <laughs> he's like, I teach math. I can't even do this. But this is, it's not, this was not a clerical error. This was not a secretarial problem. This was the fact that he had his very first deload. That was a real deload. And he pushed really hard and every, and the system worked well for him. So, you can do deloads like the DC style deload was totally intuitive. The least the way Dante had me doing those for people who are doing DC training. I'm not going to speak for Dante. Yeah. So some people would be like, take two weeks and do nothing. And some people he'd have them do sets where they'd, they'd, they'd stop short of failure. So how you structure that is, is totally up to you. So as far as the question goes, um, you can totally intuit how to do that as long as you have good intuition. Um, and the way to, the way to know, um, is literally, it's just like, okay, I'm going to, I've been training for eight years. What if I just took like eight days and just didn't train for like the first time in eight years? Yeah. Am I going to lose all my gains? Am I going to go anywhere? But I will know. And this is the one thing that, that Dante used to say, and this is what I wanted to have people, I want to have people do with fortitude training is you want to be chomping at the bit. Like literally it should be like, I want to fucking train today, but you don't. And the next day I really want to train today, but you don't. And you maybe go one more day, another day. Powerlifters employ the same thing. They will go, a lot of them, and they intentionally know. And you can imagine the scenario, like you've been training your ass off and you've, and you've like lifted some pretty massive shit and the anticipation of the, of the meets coming up and then you bring your training down. And then, of course, if someone's enhanced, they start loading in Halo and all this other shit to make the aggression even higher. And now they just want to go in there and fucking destroy gravity. They all want to go make gravity their bitch, and they can't. So the day of the meet comes around, and they're just a rip-roaring mess of, of, of rage if, if this is what they're seeking and they're lifting, and they just go fucking bonkers and... And that's how they that's how they can, you know, actually perform better than they ever had in their training. So that same sort of you don't know, not that you to turn yourself into a lunatic, but that same sort of like, ah, I really want to get in there. If you can hold off on that for a few you can even do like a four or five day experiment and just hold off. See what happens when you come back. Yeah, you know? that that one day thing. Like I, I find that a lot of times people are like, Oh man, I haven't been feeling good. Everything's been feeling beat up. I'll get this for my clients. And they're like, I, I, I really need to, you know, deload. And then, you know, they, they start a deload and I talk to them. I, I message them two days later and I say, hey, how's the deload going? And they say, oh, I took one day off and I started feeling a lot better. So I went back in. 
And I feel like if you if you had been pushing for an extended period of time and you needed to take a break, don't just take that one day then. You know, that, I, I would say that. I would say if you're going to commit to it, give it a little bit more time because I, I agree, man, because I feel like at least in my experience when I've done that, then I end up needing to deload again pretty soon. Like if I just take that one day off and then I hit it hard three days and then I'm back to the exact same place I was where if I really were to back off, then I... You know, I give myself that nice, hard reset, basically. On the other end of the spectrum, I think that some of uh, the older guys who have been around a little while, you know, because I've talked to a lot of people about, like, right now, the big term being rest, you know, reps in reserve. You know, like, everybody's talking about reps in reserve. All the programs have reps in reserve. I've met some younger guys that have never gone to failure in their lives because they think they're not supposed to, you know, they're just like, Oh, you're always supposed to leave three in the tank, two in the tank. You know, it's not good. There's like, there is some confusion around that, but I I'll tell you what, some of the older guys, I feel like they, they don't, they're not a fan of reps in reserve. I think part of it is because they've already intuitively figured things out. And I think that reps in reserve can be a great way to help a newer guy who doesn't have a concept of backing off of deloading like a good way to give it a program you know what i mean scott like some some programs will be like on your sixth week you're going to do three reps in reserve and that's like written in stone no matter what on that sixth week and i i think Mm. that for me it would be harder to get with a program like that nowadays for me i feel like i need to more i need to be more intuitive with it because i might feel great on that sixth week but i might have felt like crap on the fourth week (laughs) you know what i mean right right so many thoughts there, man. So, um, one, like if we think about Ronnie, Ronnie would take like a couple months off after the Olympia, Yeah, you know, the one year that he did the Arnold and one, he came back, he said that Olympia prep was the hardest cause he didn't have that time off and he had the course peak uh, again. Yeah. John Meadows, another example used to take, you know, at least a month off when he did felt he? like he needed it. Yeah. Many, many times he almost always did that and he would actually lose weight after a show. Cause he never had a big appetite. Yeah. Um, one thing Dante actually would say, and this is, it's, this is where auto regulation becomes so important. You can't apply that. Take, just take a day off, especially works well with like the DC two way, you know, like you're, cause you're training Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you know, and you just like, you come in on a Wednesday or a Friday, like, ah, you know, this just, I'm going to just take this day off. Okay. Then that gives you, you go from Wednesday until Monday you get a, that's a relatively a pretty pretty long break. Yeah, that'd be a nice and solid break. It is a solid break. So that's almost like a pseudo cruise. Sure. Um, and that could extend a blast. Like someone maybe hit, hits that at five weeks, they might get to eight or ten weeks. Yeah. Doing that. Okay, um, I, I could go with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that type of now, if you're yeah, if you're doing a like a like a, more of a bro blow pro split or bro split, then. That one day, uh, you might be just like kind of fooling yourself. Yeah. The, the thing that I did with Fortitude, and I'm really happy with how the, this, not this is the end all be all solution, but I'm really happy with the way this worked out is I, I looked at what little tapering literature there is. And this is what's done in many sports, like um, strength and power sports. So power lifters, you know, they will have some time off. That's what like a true taper is. So like what I talked about where they you know, don't do anything for a few days. But they get to the end of a training cycle, and they're 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 literally trying to get you know 
various ways you can do this, but you're trying to do something that's assuring them that they're what they're going to know what they're going to be lifting on the platform because they're doing something akin to that in training. So they're, they're getting down to really, really low reps like singles. Sprinters would do that too. I was a, and I was, I was a swimmers do the same thing. I was a swimmer. So like, if, let's say you're swim a hundred meter butterfly or something like that. Um, you might, you might do, you might have gone from, you know, 5,000 yards a day or 4,000 yards or 3,000 yards a day. You might drop your volume in half, but you keep the quality the same. So you, instead of like trying to do like a thousand meters butterfly or something like that, you might do, um, five 100 meter butterfly swims so very very similar so you're you're but so you're keeping the quality and the effort high and that's what i've done with fortitude training during the intensive cruise is you just do the muscle round days you drop down a volume uh volume tier if you're at one you can't go any lower really so um but that's not a problem and then you extend out you just train three times instead of four times a week base it's a rough guideline but doing this keeps the quality of the effort high. So you get to go in there and say, okay, if you still really want, if you just, if, if your mindset, this is a good one to have, if I'm going to train my ass off, yeah. whatever I do, I'm going to do it right. Then there's no like, there's, there's no like, you know, masturbation and then stopping before you, you finish, you know, like, ah, that was, a, well, that was a really good set. I wanted to finish that one. <laughs> Take it to failure, God damn it. But I'm supposed to stop at three reps reserve. Yeah. Well, the, there seems to be a performance enhancement effect. This is just on my performance from the literature. When you taper in this fashion, reducing huh. volume but keeping effort, quality of the training intact. So even someone who's trying to do like a 100-meter butterfly, they may actually do 50-meter swims at the race pace or even faster because they can do that. They can't maintain it for 100, but they can do it for 50. So that's, that's a neurological thing. That's a race pace thing. That's getting used to swimming in that, at that speed. So that's what I kind of did with fortitude training. What happens, you know, this is this the leap that I took there is that, and this is what happened with the um, the client I mentioned, who was the mathematics teacher, who uh, who made those giant performance gains. That's that has something to do with, of course, with the nervous system recovering. But hopefully, then, as long as you don't just go way too hard when you start your next blast and you bury yourself, you've now got performance gains that can be translated into a better stimulus and then better muscle mass growth. If that's what, you, if that's what you're shooting for, of course, this is bodybuilding. So that that's, that's the goal. So that taper approach has worked really well for people. And you kind of know that at least the way, and this applies to any program, I think is if you've got, um, if you're auto regulating and you go and you blast, I'm just using the blast and cruise terms that Dante basically introduced to the bodybuilding world. So, a mesocycle with a deload or a blast and a cruise, whatever terms you want to use, or a um, training cycle with a deload. If you go and you're auto-regulating and your deload doesn't mean that you come back afterwards at least as strong or hopefully stronger, and this is stronger is what happens very, very regularly with fortitude training if people are doing it right and they're not dieting down for a show. So they're in an off-season. Um, and diet will matter, of course, what you do there. But if if your your combination of figuring out when to deload and then how you do your deload means you don't come back better, chances are you could very well be doing something wrong. Yeah. Either you're waiting too long, you're not deloading enough, you're not deloading long enough, you're not bringing the volume down enough. Um, a lot of people were coming back with DC training. Not everyone, but many people were were coming back and finding 
God, I just came back weaker, you know, and it took me like the next six weeks of my eight-week blast to go back where I was. I only had two weeks of true progress. I keep on taking two oh, steps no back on my deload, yeah. Huh. And that's why I, wanna, why I wanted to find a um, uh, solution for. And I think some of it, some of it could just be purely up in the head hmm. because – um, if you have, if you, if just the way you're, way you're wired is just to go all out and attack the weights. And now you're like, now you're just like, imagine a boxer, imagine Mike Tyson. Okay, Mike, you're a week, we're a week before the, the boxing mat. So the thing of the tapers sort of thing, week before the, the, the bout, you know, the, the fight. And I just want you to go in there and, you know, just, just tap, just tap a little bit. Don't try to, don't try to knock anyone out. Just like, you know. Put on the pink gloves here, and we're going to just like you know play fight a little bit. That's not the right mentality to have if you want to come back after your deload and be ready to rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. So you how how it. would that look then? Because like you said, you made the analogy of the swimmer who would do fifty meters instead of a hundred. How would that look for say a guy who was doing a, a, a top set and a back off set on his bench press? They would just. So if that's like they're what they what they're doing for let's say three exercises or depends on how much volume they would just they would cut that in half. Okay. Um, and maybe and just do the lighter backups um, uh, back offset and and but still take that to failure. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. And 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 said so let's say they're training chest twice a week Monday yeah. and Thursday, um, and they typically blast for five weeks. Kind of depends on how long. The way I set things up in fortitude training is the longer you've blasted. The longer you cruise, it's about a three to one ratio, and that works out for most people. So, if someone's gone for six weeks and they train Monday, Thursday for chest, let's say, just thinking about chest, yeah. they might then it's okay. Now it's time to black. Now it's time to take a cruise. I need a deload here. So they would go in on Monday and just do half the volume, but train chest as hard. Thursday the same, and then come back, come back in on Monday and do the same, and then. And then you know play it by ear. They might take the take that thir- Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They might they're doing like a three way split or something like that. They're probably on a three one one off or something. So they would they would train through that for the first week or so, and then have a few days off to let that aggression build and be sure they're fully recovered. The nice thing about this too is it lets you do other stuff with your life. So we don't want know. to do other stuff with our life. We want to go to the gym. We want to. <laughs> You know, neglect we wanna, our spouse. Exactly. We want to <laughs> keep doing what family. we were doing. You're right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, yeah, so it can rejuvenate in that way too to have a few days. Like, I want to have a vacation, yeah. plan it around my vacation, you know, where for sure, like, getting man. the gym just won't be possible. We're going to be on the ski slopes or some shit, you know? Yeah. So, but that's how it looked. You cut the volume in half. Um, or in that case, if it's two, then you go to one. That's just the only way to kind of cut it up. Yeah. You've got two sets. You can't really divide two in any other way. Um, and But still train just as hard on those. So, and that, or you could do the, stick with the heavier one, whichever, whichever you like. But the volume would be less. The effort and the quality is just as high. And what I typically have people do, this is why muscle rounds are, are nice for this. Um, the person might test out new exercises. Mm, okay. So yeah, let's, yeah. Let's, Let's say they're doing like a deficit deadlift or a rack dead or a dead with chains or chain red dead with bands. And they're like, you know, I've been through this one. I'm just not this one's I'm, I'm not making progress here. I'm starting to plateau out or I can or at least I can see it coming. It's like I'm going to do my deload now. I'm going to instead of doing two sets, two work working sets of the deadlift variety, 
I'm going to try deadlifts on a, on the hammer strength machine or, you know, deadlifts in the Smith machine or something that they haven't done or something that they know they like that hasn't been in the rotation for a while. So they add that in and then that, then they, then they set that up. So that makes it new and novel and fun. The stimulus is also the nice thing about that is when you go to new exercise, you've been doing, you know, regular deadlifts and now you go to deficits or now you go to, to racks or something like that. Just the change in the movement is novelty and you'll get sore from that in a way you wouldn't had you stuck with the previous exercise you've been doing. Yeah. So just going there, you know, you're getting a good stimulus if this will satisfy you psychologically because you're doing something brand new um, and you have only that one shot to make that set perfect. So set of two sets in this, in this scenario. So that's how that would generally be put together, but it works really well. Um, and especially if someone is, especially, especially if someone is having a hard time making, making gains and they're really, they're really pushing the food. Um, this allows them to be training less for some people, depends on how training affects their appetite. For some people, this means they can get more food in um, and they have an easier time making having a caloric excess so they can make gains and they kind of catch up on their recovery at the same time. So the less training days means less caloric expenditure, easier way of making, making, a, making sure they have a caloric excess in their diet. Okay. I've got a bunch more stuff here. Yes, uh, keep going. I, I know you posted a thread over at uh, the group too, the Facebook group. So I'm looking. We have uh, we have some questions over there as well. Uh, I'll throw this one up next. This is from Jim McDonald. He says, uh, "If you do unilateral movements like dumbbell shoulder presses and have a strength imbalance, but not a noticeable, not a size imbalance, uh, should you train both sides the same weight sets reps?" Or should you train each side uh, the same intensity, uh, like to failure or two reps in reserve, for example? Uh, he says he can press 50 pounds 10 times with his right side, but only seven times with the left side, yet he appears symmetrical. How many reps should he do? Eight and a half. Eight and a half. <laughs> split the difference split the difference well you can't do so eight and a half with the other one that was a joke jim um depends on your goals depends on uh, if it's bodybuilding then you're good to go yeah. um chances are there's something asymmetrical somewhere because it's manifesting in the performance hmm. so maybe not in your delt maybe it's in your trap maybe there's you've got an impingement in your neck hmm. that that you know only only is apparent when you've loaded the neck and the spine with you're holding the dumbbells and that's disallowing the motor drive to move the dumbbells. Yeah. Um, there's probably something somewhere. So that's have to ask, you know, have to talk with him and get a, do a history and figure out, you know, what is, if he's had a car accident or previous rotator cuff injury or something like that. But as far as, um, as far as bodybuilding goes, you're on a good track, except that there's, but that's telling you that there's something there that's imbalanced in some way, shape, or form. So I'm guessing he said he can do seven with one and ten with the other. That's just like when he does a, a unilateral dumbbell press. Um, I imagine he does, if he does bilateral dumbbell presses, he also notices the difference there, like the one le one arm's giving out. So you're not really going to have much of an option in mm. that case um, if you're doing them that way. Uh, I would simply, um, I would figure out, I want to figure out why that is. So he may know already because he's had an injury or something like that. Just because 
um, you're stress testing the system every time you go in and lift. Yeah. So the analogy is the act, an actual what they call a stress test. If someone has potentially cardiovascular disease and they want to they want to bring out potential chances for an arrhythmia in the heart, they do an EKG stress test where they put them on a treadmill usually or it could be a bike and they bring them up, do a graded exercise test, and they bring them up and stress the heart out and look for things like ST segment depression or some other arrhythmia or dysrhythmia or angina. So they like you don't there's no problem at rest. You're good to go during the day, but you know, when you get stressed, and which could happen if you get stressed or you're in an emergency situation, then that's when people sometimes have heart attacks. Like risk of heart attack goes up substantially on Monday mornings in in the Western world because we're all stressed because we have to go to work on average. So when you get in the gym and you're pushing and you got one side that's 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 a substantial strength difference. Mm-hmm. There's something there that's not working. It'd be kind of like kind of like have a car that steers to the left. Yeah. Like the tires look great, they look aligned, but they don't behave like they're aligned. Yeah, there's, there's something an alignment there. problem. Yeah. yeah, there's something going on in there that's worth worth um, digging into and figuring out. Um, I would also look. Uh, this is mirrors are actually aside from the vanity aspect. Mirrors have utility for self diagnosis, so to speak, self evaluation. Look in the look in the mirror and see um, how he's doing those presses. So he may be just used to he's most people are one side dominant every once in a while someone's ambidextrous or ambifi- amphibious as I like to say meaning I can write with both hands underwater um, that's my that's my joke sorry <laughs> really it's really, really. It's, it's a bad joke I know but I always have to say it. Um, there's probably something going on with the trap and the shoulder girdle that's allowing him to move that there's probably some asymmetry in motion you yeah. probably see that if, if you if you're close enough to a mirror where you can look and see Another way you could do this um, with the marvels of modern technology is do those, um, this would be really cool to do actually, do those unilateral um, dumbbell presses that he explained and just go to like, go to the seventh rep and take the right and right and left, film them individually as evenly on as you can, and then flip the right image so it matches the left, flip the left image so it matches the right, and play the video simultaneously for both and see if you see a difference when you're comparing the right and the left when the one's been flipped or the other way around. Yeah. And you're probably going to see like that you don't look exactly the same. Sure. Of course. You can, you can do this. It's really freaky with, you want to see where, you know, bodybuilders are asymmetrical. If you got like a, a direct on um, most muscular or a front double bicep or a front last spread or back shot, whatever, take the image, slice it down the middle take the left and right halves and flip one of them so you can combine and make a bodybuilder version out of two left halves and two right halves yeah. and then compare those two versions. And you'll see bodybuilders that sometimes they look like they're from different weight classes. There's so much difference. If like one leg's bigger than the other, what have you. So doing that, uh, he could do that, film that and check it out and see what's going on. If he can't see it himself because, you know, he lives in there. It's his own own head and he's used to watching himself. Right. And see what's asymmetrical and figure out where his alignment is off. But um, if if everything's growing the way, you know, it should be and it doesn't look asymmetrical, then from a bodybuilding, purely bodybuilding aesthetics perspective, it's good to go. From a biomechanical and injury prevention perspective, I'd want to figure out what's going on there um, and either try to remedy that if there's something there that can be fixed, like a rotator cuff weakness because of his 
capsule's been stretched or what have you. So rotator cuff work might be something that could help. Um, a form asymmetry that he's unaware of, which is what the video would help. Get to the root of that issue. Get the car, get his body aligned. Um, and that way he's got that injury, injury. He's got the injury risk, I think, I would guess, minimized, um, even though it's not apparent now from what he said. Um, and that way he'll, um, he'll be performing in a safe way. And then, you know, won't matter bodybuilding aesthetics wise, but it could matter down the road if he hurts himself. That would make sense. Yeah. And I think like, like none of us are, you know, none of us are completely symmetrical. Like you said, you can, you can do that split picture thing and see Crazy. such a difference from the left to the right. And I think that one side is always going to be a little stronger than the other. So I think anybody who's listening to this, if you're finding like, hey, I always get, you know, one more rep on my dumbbell row with the right side than the left. I don't think that like one rep is a big deal, you know, uh, but when you're seeing like you know, that's like almost 30, 30 percent difference, that's yeah. that's that's substantial. So I just wanted to point that out for anybody listening that, you know, yeah. you don't necessarily need to do a deep dive if you find that one side is, you know, marginally stronger than the other, because we're going to all have right. that. Right. Yeah. Everyone's going to be. A little bit. And, and there's, I mean, if you're always doing one side before the other, you know, flip that around, you know, do reverse that every once in a while. So you don't have an order effect going on. Yeah. Do you go, um, like if you're to do a dumbbell row, would you go left to right? Cause I know a lot of people do that because that's the way we read in the United, you know, <laughs> in, in the Western culture. I do it the Chinese way. I go top to bottom actually. <laughs> so which, which arm would you start with? Uh, I would uh, probably be doing a muscle round or I might do a muscle round. Um, I would actually intuit based on how my lats were feeling. Okay. Um, so, so you make sure that you sometimes will rotate that you don't always go oh, yeah. left to right. Yeah. 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 I don't, you know, I don't always pick one or the other. I um, find I, if I were to just go with what felt good, like, you know, you don't think about taking your first step when you start walking. Uh, you know what I mean? You just start walking. Um, right. I would start with my right arm in general. It's just a, it's just the way my brain wants to go. I don't always do yeah. it, but I would want to start with my right arm. I've been like, for example, the lat, the, the, the lat, I don't, there's nothing. I mean, I have a, I've torn my right lat, but, but it doesn't cause any, I didn't even know I tore it. I just can see it. I never, I never rehabbed it and everything. There was a big hole in it. <clears throat> So that's not an issue, but with my leg, I've got this um, moralgia parasthetica going on. Yeah. And so the unilateral stuff, I, I would almost always start with the left. So I keep my focus on keeping that one, making sure I don't re-injure that, don't do the things and movement-wise. Like that's, I'm basically doing that. The training is on, the focus and my mindset is on that left one. Hmm. And the right one's kind of coming along, along for the ride. The right one's healthy. Hmm. The right quad was always been a little bit bigger anyway. Yeah. So it's not an issue. The right leg's bigger. So I can, and I, I would still go to failure with that one. Um, but uh, uh, that one's just, that one's always usually second because I want to just sort of like, all my orientation is on the left side, but that's because I'm in a rehab scenario. So We've got a bunch more training stuff, but I'm going to throw yep. this one up here because it is right. the, the next one and it's not training stuff. Ideas for sight enhancement for bringing up legging body parts, chest in my case. And thanks for Elijah. He's one of our new Patreon people. Appreciate you, brother. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for contributing. Um, 
Scott is really enjoying the Lamborghini. (laughs) (laughs) It helps with the payments. You know, I heard Lamborghinis are like five grand a month for insurance alone. Just for the insurance, man. I can't imagine why, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We're going to get the Think Big logo wrapped on the Lambo next week. So thanks, Elijah. Appreciate you contributing to that. (laughs) If if you do that, then you need to get like, Victoria doing like one of those, you know, a car and driver bikini shots. Oh, hell like you yeah. See. Hell yeah. Listen, I could ask her. I'd be like, hey, if I get a Lambo, would you do it? And she'd be like, sure. Yeah. You get a Lambo, I'll do it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. That would be hilarious. If you could Photoshop that shit and post it up and just watch people trip out, it'd be hilarious. Yeah. Um, so sight enhancement. I am, I, I am not a sight enhancement expert by any means um, whatsoever. Haven't ever done it. Um, typically try to get people to avoid that yeah. until a very last thing. Just in particular is one um, from everyone I've spoken with and known and read who's tried it can be very, very painful. Um, also, the difficulty there is that the, the chest's a pinnated muscle, just the very the anatomical shape of the chest is such that you have to be very artistic if you're going to try to bring that up because it's it's flat and wide. It's not round and bulbous. So, yeah. like, take the the um, sweep of your quad, your vastus lateralis. You know that that one you see people get you know big lumps and that sort of stuff. But but at least you know like you're trying to like you if you inject somewhere and it makes it makes for a round lump. That's basically hold on. Just I gotta do one thing on my computer here so we don't shut down. All right. Oh, and I want to say hi. We were getting a bunch of comments, so I, I didn't oh, cool. address those, including Elijah's with us. He said, not implying synth oil, by the way. Okay. And, and he also added, if I see a Lambo, I'm dropping my Patreon. <laughs> Dude, if I got a Lambo, I don't care about Patreon anymore. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's like at that point, I <laughs> that'd be a lot of... Yeah, it's probably I, like a $49 remote control Lamborghini on Amazon. You know, I might be like able that. to do that. I'll save. Yeah. I'll save up for that. Yeah. There's, there's a, as an aside, there's a, a a kid and a dad in my neighborhood. They they drive by, and he has like this little sports car thing that that he got for Christmas like a year ago, mm-hmm. and it goes like five miles an hour. And they come down my my, my street, and I, I always tell them, "You better slow down, there, buddy." <laughs> I bet you do. I'm like that old guy, you know, who thinks he's funny, as I prove in this podcast. I bet you do. They're like, who's the guy with the mohawk, that crazy right. hair? He's a weird dude. <laughs> with um, the muscles, you're all so, jacked. You're probably in a tank top, too, at the time. I'm sure it's hot down there in Florida. Uh, so might have been, you Picture yeah. that. It's been chilly lately. It almost oh. hit freezing the other night, yeah. Um, so synthol is how most people would do this, of course, So, but he's not implying synthol. So, yeah. you know... Local injections, like the thing is, is, you know, there's such a risk for two. And I've talked with people, someone not even too long ago who, who just did a right, they're just looking to put an injection there. That would be like the last spot for an injection. The nerve density is pretty high. Hmm. So just like the quad for some people, but not all, you can get a lot of pain there. Um, so that's not good. What that could mean if you in a lot of inflammation as well. It seems like so. Let's say you inject that, and then you go and train it. The concern that I've always had with people who inject it or training a muscle that's been just recently injected that's inflamed and hurts is one: you've got a weakened area there because it's inflamed potentially. All this, everything's already pre-stretched. 
yeah. in terms of where that injection site is. So you've got a round, you know, around it, especially if you put SEO in there. He's not talking about that, but just the inflammation itself. And also, um, the nervous system is pretty smart. There's a rotation among motor units across the belly of the muscle. So it, 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 there, and there's feedback that actually comes from the muscle spindles that are associated with the motor neurons for a given localized region in the muscle belly. So if you've got a place that's been injured, the nervous system is going to work around that. Um, it's really, really fascinating the way it does it. They've demonstrated this in fish where they paralyze some of the muscle of the fish and then watch their swimming mechanics. Oh, yeah. And they still swim the same way. They're, like everything still works even though like they paralyze some of the swimming muscles. Yeah. And um, we actually did an experiment like this with MRI way back when. Even, it happens in humans when you like whack one muscle really fatigue it with e-stim and then ask the muscle to and ask the person to do knee extension the other muscles take up the slack of course they have to so my my presumption is i haven't seen the study directly with injecting inflammatory substances in the human muscles and watching activation patterns but you're probably creating an activation pattern you're creating a local injury and an activation pattern that's going to predispose you for a local injury hmm. and i think just is probably one of the most um, difficult ones to get a good shape on. That's why you don't see people doing it because every guy wants a big chest, right? That's why, you know, Monday is International Bench Press Day. But you don't see people doing SEOs on their chest. Some, a lot of people do chest injections. But um, that's the one that's, I think, least amenable to bringing up with a local inject, with a site injection, and the one that's probably higher on the list as far as injury potential and inf inflammation and pain and just being a no-go. Yeah. Um, you know, so, if I could like just go in a completely different direction with it, man, what about sure. like, I, I feel like, cause I, I can tell you, and I'd be curious to know Elijah's with us. What about his shoulders? How are, how are his shoulders by comparison? Cause here's what I saw in my own life. Um, when I got, contest lean the first time I recognized that like my shoulders were way bigger than my chest. And what happened was that, you know, a lot of my chest training uh, was going to my shoulders and my shoulder, my chest wasn't getting the same activation as my shoulders were. I was training shoulders on the bench press and then I was training shoulders on <laughs> my shoulder exercises, you know? So the shoulders right. were getting hit a ton, but the, the, the chest, not so much. It was through, uh, figuring out how can I get better activation out of my chest? Cause he's talking about like, you know, upper chest, all that. But I mean, if you bring up your whole chest, your, your upper chest is going to, imp did he say upper chest? Maybe I made that part up. That's a fair assumption, but I don't, I don't remember reading that, but yeah, that's okay. where most people. Okay. More so he says shoulders are dominant for sure. Yeah. So of course, and that's super common. In, in fact, you know what, man, we were talking about Andrea at the beginning of this, one of the reasons, so we, we, we went back to doing more actual bench press. She had gotten implants this past year. She had done zero chest work. Uh, and I, and I did feel that with a little more chest work, we could get like more of a strong, that V shape, you know, from the top mm -hmm. to bring the shoulders out and have a little bit more, like get the chest to fill out a yeah, little bit not more. Be caved in here. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. And my thought was, you know what, it, it, going from doing nothing to adding in just a couple exercises, that's probably going to make a difference over an off-season mm -hmm. season period of time. And even if we don't do a ton for the chest, 
her shoulders are going to get bigger by doing bench press, you know, mm-hmm. like, because we're Probably. not, you know, but here's the thing, man, is I feel like everybody who starts bodybuilding, not everybody, that's an overstatement, but a lot of people, they end up with stronger shoulders first. So how, Scott, how would he, let me ask you this then, instead of talking about sight enhancement, what can he do with his exercises to bring, to get more chest activation instead of shoulders? Yeah, there's a, there's a ton of things there. So that's, like I said before, bringing up the weak muscle group. Um, so I have, and I have a whole YouTube video actually on this topic, which I'm not going to try to go through here, but um, I'll, I'll link it. So if, if you can send okay. it to me later, I'll yeah, I'll send, I'll send it to you. Yeah. Um, so one thing to connect the, his original question in this is that people do find if they do side injections that it can help them have a better mind-muscle connection. And mm. Some people kind of do it for that reason. They don't feel like overly pain. They don't get like, holy shit, I feel like I'm going to tear my chest. I try to train it now. But they get a better pump there. They can feel that better. So one example of that would be people who use insulin. not suggesting people necessarily do this, but if someone is a, a pre-workout insulin user, you need to know that – muscle contraction will speed the rate of entry of the insulin into your system. So if someone injects into a muscle that they go and they train, they're going to turn that into a faster acting insulin than if they put it in a subcutaneous area of the body with it's, that's, you know, not, not being, tra- there's no underlying muscle being trained. They're not training the heat. There's not extra blood flows. That blood flow speeds up the delivery or entry of insulin into the blood really, really rapidly. So you got to just, if you're going to do that, not suggesting it at all, but that's just, I feel like I have to say this as a warning, but people will get a pump from that. People used to do it all the time with IGF-1. Yeah, that was, you know, people that. were using that. Yeah, people are using that all the time. They get a great pump. And that, I think, simply having that there, it's interesting. There's something that can be said, too, for knowing you're getting a good pump if someone's trained somewhat intuitively and mind-muscle connection, meaning their exercise form is important, and they're getting good mind-muscle connection, it sort of means that they're not going to be as inclined to try to use too much weight. Uh. It's like, it's like, wow, this is feeling really good. I'm getting a great pump. And just like the guy who looks phenomenal, he doesn't care that he goes in there and he has to be you know, pressing 405 on the incline press because he looks awesome. But the guy who doesn't look that good a lot of times it's just psychological. This is, you know, an egotistical type of endeavor we're here. If you don't look that good, like at least I'm strong, you know, or at least yeah. I train hard. So if you're getting good pump and you like how you're looking and everything's going well in the mirror, then something that helps with that is going to probably help keep you from doing what he may have been doing, which is using too much weight. So to that, um, you definitely can. The studies are there and they've actually done this a good bit with chest where you tell people to use chest more so than their triceps or their deltoids, and they can shift the EMG such that that happens. And that happens at low weights up to about the studies that I'm aware of, about 80% of a one rep max. Once you start going too heavy, you're not going to be able to have a relative um, uh, more activation in in the target muscle and less in the muscle that you don't want to be using. So his delts or his anterior delt. And that makes sense. If 200 pounds is your one rep max, and you're trying to use 160, and you're so you're almost at your you're at 80 percent of your one rep max. You're going to have to use a lot of the muscle if yeah. you're going to try to not use that anterior delt, which you're already is already overly contributing to your strength. 
then your one rep max with a good mind muscle connection is not 200. It's maybe 160. So you may have to use 110, something like that, in order to, to maintain that relative activation pattern that makes the chest the weak link versus hmm. the delt. So ways that you can do that. Many people find retracting the scapulae help, helps um, and just keeping them locked in. Yeah. Um, finding exercises that have a good um, loading curve. So fly, and you, especially fly movement, so you take the triceps out. So find a good um, machine, a fly machine, there's some not, ones that uh, uh, literally have less tension at the end and more in the middle where you're stronger. Um, using a full range of motion um, safely, of course, can be super helpful for people, especially those who end up are sitting a lot during the day and they normally have kind of a shortened muscle. So sitting with the muscle in a shortened position like a lot of us do when we work on our desk all day, that, that does not help with muscle size, whereas a muscle huh. that's, that's resting and in the lengthened position is going to be bigger. I've talked about this in the context of people with spinal cord injuries. You look at people who've had complete spinal cord injuries and disallowing the people who, take, um, who don't take their anti-spasticity medication because that changes the activation. But muscle that's just sitting there that's paralyzed, that's lengthened, doesn't lose much size. And so the, what they tend to do is plantar flex. So they'll point their toes when they're sitting in their chair. It's just kind of the average person. And that means that all the, all the um, plantar flexors are shortened. The calf muscles, gastroxoleus, plantaris, those are all shortened. But the anterior tibialis is lengthened because the toes are pointed. The anterior tib is about the same size as able-bodied people who can walk around. So that's the same size as it was before the injury probably. But the other muscles, because they're shortened, are smaller. So someone who has slumped shoulders already probably is someone who would want to even focus more on make sure they get a deep, wide range of motion yeah. on their chest movements. And keeping the, um, I can't really see here, keeping your hands in this sort of position. <laughs> so yeah. not internally rotated at the shoulder, but like this also can be helpful. That tends to take the anterior delt out. So doing... You can grip some machines in that way. So doing fly movements with that sort of a positioning. That makes sense. Is, yep. Yeah. Yep. I even feel like even with like the pec deck, I can yep. tend to press with the bottom portion of my hand, yeah. you know? Imagine if you use the pec deck and you, you did it like this. Yeah. You know, it's going to be all delt. You yeah. can even, you know, be even going to the middle head of the delt if you, if you could do those. Yeah. Um, Pre-fatiguing can be very helpful. That makes sure that like you do a fly movement before a pressing movement. That helped me. That was the way I, I think I changed it because I went back to my off-season and mm-hmm. I started training with my the guy who coached me and he pre-fatigued every, every chest workout. And right. it definitely took away my, my what I thought like my strength was on the bench after that. Like, but, right. you know, I got used to it. And my chest did change that season. That was like the only change I made was pre-fatiguing. Yeah. Yep. So the pre-fatigue, the pre-fatiguing gives you a good pump too. So it helps with uh, with the learning curve of the mind-muscle yeah, connection. That makes you sense. You know where it's supposed to, hurt, supposed to hurt, you know, where you're supposed to be feeling it. Yeah. Um, what else? He also added, he said, that makes sense. It's very interesting because he does type all day. He's sitting and typing all day, shortening those muscles. Huh? Yeah. He could even, um, a lot of people will use like a foam roller when they're doing um, fly exercises. Yeah. It helps, it'll help keep you in that arch position. 
Um, you know, just focusing on maybe, you know, I use a, a I have, I'm going to try to pick it up, but I have a lap desk and I can pull that thing all the way up to my midsection. So the keyboard's up close as opposed to being forward like this all the time, okay. reaching forward. Like so that. that's one, one way to do that. Yeah. Or just getting up and stretching a little bit during the day can kind of help with that. Um, and then new novel stimuli, things like loaded stretches hmm. or, um, uh, you know, the, the other, the occlusion stretches that I have as part of fortitude training. Yeah. So loaded stretches would be like DC extreme stretches. So you take a dumbbell, you know, something that is not like at your one rep max. So, you know, 60, 80% of maybe what you'd lift for a 10 rep set or, or about there okay. and lower that into a, a position where you can let go. This is dumbbells or you can just on a fly machine, various ways you can do this and try to hold that for 60 to 90 seconds. The longest yeah, 90 seconds of your life. They're fucking awesome. They're just great. <laughs> I love those. Just be careful. Like people just get stupid and they try to like pick up the one twenties, yeah. you know, and that's where people, people have gotten injured doing silly things with the stream stretches. Or you can do those, um, occlusion stretches, basically the same thing, except you might get into like a, um, like find a power rack, uh, and grab or, or you, it's a, basically a doorway stretch. They call it. So you grab the two bars of the power rack and lean into it. Um, or get on the safety bars of the power rack and get into like a wide push-up position yeah. and then contract your pecs in that stretch position as hard as you can. And you can change the angle when, uh, when setting up the stretch to hit where you want to hit on the chest. So, you know, do that. Make sure you're contracting the upper pecs when you're yeah. doing that. So huh. you learn and practice and reiterate that mind-muscle connection during that stretch and that will hopefully, you know, help you better to activate the chest as opposed to the triceps and anterior delt or using the serratus anterior and moving the scapulae around the whole shirtle girdle that makes um, sense. during your, your pressing and your other chest movements. All right. So, and then the thing we mentioned before too, like make sure you, Oh, there's, there's more to this too. Sorry. There's a lot. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well shift your recovery. So you may have a day uh -huh. of recovery before chest, a day of recovery after chest. So you might have chest on an isolated day and then how you do your nutrition. So if you're, eating at a caloric excess and you're only going to eat so much and like legs are a strong point. You don't need to like, so leg might be a day you eat, you know, at a barely an excess. If that you're not worried about legs and growing legs, but when it comes day for chest, like you, you know, you have like your cheat meals the night before chest. So you have yeah. a pizza or whatever, if that's what you do. And then the day, you know, you have trained chest then you go have an all you can eat sushi buffet afterwards. So you load your calories um, to help ready yourself for the workout, if that's especially important for you, like that you've loaded up pretty well, depends on the person, and then foster recovery by loading in as many calories as you can. So you, you shift, you might have a 5,000 calorie day, or you might have a 5,000 calorie 24 hour period on either side of your chest workout, yeah. depending on what time of day you train, when the rest of the, um, rest of the week, 4,000 calories is your normal caloric intake. That so you're shifting your, yeah, shifting your timing and your nutrient. It's a nutrient timing and training timing scenario. You do all those things, like line all those things up, and that can completely transform someone's progress. And then, of course, you know, make sure you get stronger as best you can using the right mind-muscle connection and form. But, yeah. Like that. And, and watch the latest episode of uh, Blood, Sweat, and Gear that we put out with uh, with Big Dave Smith. Because we talked a lot about uh, it, it, training the tissue versus training the movement versus moving weight through space 
you know, and that's, it was, I mean, obviously that was a whole hour conversation in itself that I think definitely applies here, you know? Yeah. There's so much to that. All right. I'm going to see if we can get like two more here because we have two more training questions and uh, I know they'll both be fun. One of them is from TTK 100. He says, uh, I can train my legs so hard that they get extremely sore and uh, not even a week is enough to make them painless. He's he's from uh, Europe. Uh, he says, uh, is that going too far? I've been training and competing for almost 26 years. Dude, there's not, I will say, can I, if I can say first, Scott, the one thing for, I want to yeah, say, I just want to say whether it's good for you or not good for you, there is something so special about training your legs hard and absolutely fucking burying them, whether it's good for you or not. That's all I got to say. There's something really special about that. I don't know whether it's going to help you grow legs or not, but. (laughs) And you could be a candidate to win Scott's Lamborghini if you enter your set of the month next month in the Lamborghini contest. Think big Lamborghini. You'll learn some things about life if you train legs like that. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. God says hello. You're up. (laughs) Oh, shit. So um, the question is that too much? It all depends on whether you're making progress and you're getting out of what you want. You know, if you've been at it for 26 years and you're like, okay, I made all the gains I'm going to make, you know, and I'm. I'm just enjoying the process and, and I'm loving what I'm doing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm kneeling, you know, at the altar of the squat rack Yeah. every week. I mean, like I've said before, I mean, I've, I've been sore, you know, pretty much continuously for 40 years, like all the time, to- continuously. I'm always sore to some degree. You know, when I stretch out, I can tell that I've done something. Yeah. Um, that really never goes away, you know, unless I've, unless I've taken a lot of time off and I've only done that basically twice in the entire time. Um, so it depends on if you're making progress. The thing, you know, you could do, uh, is cut the volume down and train twice as often. Cause obviously it sounds like he's training mm. once a week. Um, and just take, um, t- what that tends, the literature generally tends to suggest that that allows you to do more volume over a, a given week's time or a, a longer period of time. If you, if you train more frequently, yeah. So if he's doing 20 sets, you know, and he's staying sore that long and he's not fully recovering. So you can keep on doing that forever. You can, I mean, you can, and I've proven this, you know, over decades, you can keep on being sore and keep on going there and grinding and, you know, you know, digging in on the leg training, but it may, and this is why I asked the question, it may not be the best for growth. So the question is if you're still moving and you can grow actually when you're sore like that all the time, you can still make progress. Um, so the question, the way of knowing that after 26 years is to start doing something that you haven't been doing, either cut the volume back so that you aren't sore a week later and literally just make those, uh, the sets that you do death sets. Cause he's going to, he wants that. I can tell mm-hmm. like for the reason you, you, your comment came to mind right after we, after reading his question, right. you know, he likes to train like that. I mean, if there's any doubt about that, we're making an assumption here, but I yeah. think it's, you know, it's not a, it's not a bad one to make. It's a compliment. And, and if you're um, watching this content, it's an easy assumption to make too. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, right. So cut that back, you know, cut the 12 sets or 20 sets or 30 sets. I mean, if it's 40 sets or something like that, then it's like, okay, you know, 
I know people have done more than that, but that kind of a hint. But if it's, you know, eight sets, then just try four. DC training, you know, is hardly anything set-wise. People look at it. In today's, you know, like four reps in reserve, three, two reps in reserve, um, people will look at DC training on paper and say, like, well, that's not going to work. <laughs> right? It works. Yeah. But you have to train like a maniac. You have to really dig in. So I'm sure that TT, I can't remember what his user TTK. ID was. TTK, some numbers afterwards. Um, he can probably train like none other. He's been at it for 26 years. He can make himself sore for a week. And he's like an Eastern Bloc, Eastern Bloc European yes. guy. Okay? Right. He's not yeah. messing around. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. get after it. Drop your volume in half. And see, like, even like you, if you need something, switch to DC training. The thing about DC training for someone who's been doing more is that it's in a way it's even a, there's a greater challenge to it because it's like, you've got just like, if you're doing it, let's say legs would be heavy set, a light set, and then a widow maker. Um, that's all you got. You don't have any other opportunities. All or nothing, baby. You got to make it happen in those three sets. And that's it. And so that that is a is really a pretty powerful challenge. It's calling out. So you could switch to something like that, and that will give you and see how your soreness does. If see if he recovers. Okay. But yeah, drop the volume back, or try a more frequent program, or just switch to something that's lower volume. I bet he's gonna if he's if he's keeping sore, staying sore for a week, he's probably doing a higher volume type of program. And he maybe hasn't. He's been doing it for twenty six years, and he hasn't got an answer to that question. He probably hasn't switched to a DC style training or HIT during the eight, something along those lines, you know. Yeah. And that's gonna simply because those are effective programs, and it's one he hasn't done. That could foster new growth even after twenty six years of training. Whew. Yeah. Which would be cool. This kind of ties in the, the the next question, and and you know what, Paige had one that we could try to try to tackle quick at the end, too. I don't, I don't want to leave her out, um, but Juan had said this on our group, so I feel like this could wrap in. So Juan's in Mexico; he has a clinic where they, I think, they do like a lot of physical therapy, and he uses. He's this, this, he's a hit guy. This is a hit training guy. I've seen him. You've seen him push some weight too. Yeah. Uh, he says, "Hi, Doc. Uh, at your knowledge, what is the most efficient protocol to bring legs uh, to to bring back legs when you are next to fifty years old?" Regards from Mexico. Depends on what's limiting the legs. Hmm. Why they're not there. Um, that happens. Obviously, that's the thing that goes first on most bodybuilders. Mm. You talk to most of those guys, and they can't squat anymore. They can't do the things they once did. Yeah. Um, so the first thing is to remedy the most efficient. Like that's kind of a tough word. Um, you want to what you want to do is make it happen. The efficiency would be you know make it happen as as rapidly as possible. But some of this could be time because if there's some injuries or some pain, let's say, let's say it's it's just knee pain, just the generic knee pain, and let's say you boiled it down to chondromalacia patella, so patellofemoral syndrome. It's pain under the kneecap, where the cartilage there under the kneecap, um, the kneecap is basically just connecting the the quad to the tibia, and it's, it creates some um, t handles a lot of tension there, 
helps with the angle of pull so you get greater torque about your knee. That's what the patellar's there for, but it, but it takes a beating. So using a joint protocol of some sort, um, uh, undenatured type UC2, undenatured yeah. type collagen, BPC-157, it wants to go that route. Growth hormone might work for some people. Making sure you're properly hydrated, um, hydrolyzed collagen, um, cosamin DS uh, is a good glucosamine, various other things people could use um, and get the joint pain taken care of or whatever. That's just one example. It's going to be very specific depending on what the physical limitations are so the person can do something akin to what they once were doing. Yeah. So if squats were what built the legs and you can't do squats and you're looking for a way around those, then you want to get back to doing something as close to squats as you possibly can. Um, and to some degree, performance is going to match the muscle mass. So, you know, if you had a great back when you were, you know, deadlifting, you know, 500 for sets of 10, and now you don't do deadlifts, and you're trying to do bent over rows with 225, um, and for you, just heavy slag iron deadlifting the thickness of your back, but your back's broken down now because you've taken, it's taken a beating. You may never get back to that. So same thing holds for legs. You may never really get back to that. So you need to figure out what's limiting you from training in the way that once, once you got to, got you to where you once were. So the easiest, the most efficient way would be just start doing what you once did when you had (laughs) the legs, you know, but there's probably a reason why you can't do that. So that could be too, like, um, gosh, just the person is got someone knocking on my door and the dogs aren't barking. It's a phenomenon. That's, I know a, it's a non phenomenon. Give me just a second because yes. they're, they're talking and they're, this better be important. Hold on. Right back. Better be important. If they're interrupting muscle minds right now, Scott's got to take a break. There's somebody at his door. Appreciate you guys tuning in this morning. We're knocking out muscle minds early. Scott's got a lunch date uh, with Nick Wary, competitive eater. Looks like somebody else is coming in the feed right now. Um, we have another question from Paige, so we'll try to tackle that one too. I got a thought on this one as well. What did they want? Sign- they were leaving a package. They- I have a sign that oh. says, don't, "Don't, please don't knock. Oh, you know? yeah. Uh, but sometimes people knock. And they said something. I just it was unintelligible. Huh. So I, I thought they were still there. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the most efficient way would be, be doing what you once did to have what you once had. Yeah. Start training the way you once did. But that might mean, you know, if you – this goes – it's, it's the kind of the mirror image of someone who's like trying to – like the, the quintessential example is the guy who's been training for three or four years and he wants to grow his arms. And in the last year, he's only put on two pounds of body weight and he wants to grow his arms. Now it's like, you're not going to get like local growth like that. Like you did when you're a newbie, you're going to have to gain some weight everywhere to gain some weight on your arms. So if you're, you know, a 50 year old guy and you had great legs when you were 240 and now you're, you know, 195 and your legs don't look the same, you know, the body weight's going to have to go up to gain the muscle mass overall. And that may not be the smartest thing for someone who's, 50 who maybe had really good legs when they were doing things that a younger body would be more able to tolerate PED wise, for instance, or just training wise or what have you. So it kind of really depends on what, what's keeping the person from doing what they once did. 
If, if I were to, you know, I'll make an assumption that, uh, you know, because we do know that Juan is really into high intensity stuff. Um, you know, what, what about it? one option could be if he can't train the way he had in the past, what are some other things you can do? And my thought would be, what about it? You know, like you've said, Scott, and I learned this from you with our programming is that uh, you can to an extent make up for intensity with volume. So yeah. well, what if, what if you were to try, you know, adding more volume in and see how that worked. And, and I'll tell you what, man, Scott, I've had a lot of the guys that I've worked with had been doing a push pull leg split with like super high intensity, super low volume. And, um, you know, I, I've been uh, lucky enough to work with some of these guys doing this stuff long-term and that we've made switches to adding more volume back in now, where mm -hmm. in maybe doing push pull legs and then doing um, a back day and a leg day with higher volume. So push pull legs, high intensity, and then uh, the fourth and fifth workout would be a back day with more volume and a leg day with more volume. And we're seeing better results by adding that mm -hmm. little bit of volume back in. And I know that's what Nate Spears said he did too. Because uh, we asked him, we're like, Nate, how did you improve your physique? And he said, well, you know, as much as he loves intensity and is in, as intense of a guy he can be in the gym, he was like, I still had to ask myself, did I have a little bit more to give than, than just that high intensity set that I was doing? And so he added more volume in and he realized he there was a little bit left and, it, and he was able to satisfy it with volume. That. That approach, I'm not sure how Nate scheduled it week throughout the week, but what you described there is something that John Meadows has had in his programs for years now. Yeah. That's like a basic a basic way in which many of his programs are constructed. So you'd have, you know, your kind of your core days of the three three way split and then higher volume um, days where you're not trying to push the heavy loads, but you're doing, you know, higher rep sets and higher volume on those days. As I started so, learning about this, I, I discovered one of his plans. I think it was avalanche that, okay. that works. I think it was avalanche that works that way. Yeah. Specifically well, just to, and then I was, and then it made me feel like, you know what, if John's doing this, I'm onto something here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> He's been doing that for a while. And that's, that, that's the thing. Like everyone, um, if you keep doing what you've been doing, you keep getting what you've been getting. So, you know, if Ron, if, if Juan's been doing, you know, an HID approach for his legs and they're like regressing, then yeah, he's going to have to do something else. So you pick from one of the other options as far as what we know produces muscle growth. So higher volume, you know, switch up the frequency, switch the volume, you know, um, stop doing like, cause he trains really hard. If he's talking about himself, I was, I wasn't sure that this applied to him. I don't know that oh. he's fifty. Yeah, um, he's he's getting he's he's up there. I, okay. I, I I might be wrong, but I thought it was yeah. about him. But yeah, for sure, okay. it could be anybody. Yeah, but you're totally right. The you know the there there there's an optimal place there. Um. So, yeah, I just it's hard to know. Be, I want to be give a specific sort of uh, answer, but you can't really. So yeah, more volume is definitely a possibility. Yeah, I just thought I'd throw it out there. Yeah. With this is the thing that's you know tough with toughest with an older guy um, is you know there is an age factor there. There's just something that's there, um, and so there's you know eventually we all die. Like the the trajectory we're going is to where you know there's no muscle growth at all, like nothing. Yes. So 
so you you know you're trying like is there anything that can be done to prevent that decline completely well no you know pretty much um so recovery resources are one thing that that many people um you know complain about or notice as they get older is that they just can't recover as well so this doesn't mean that this wasn't something he should do because i think he's been doing exactly like you said lots of hit so that's a really solid um thought <laughs> the thing with one, two is like so he might be like, okay, I'm gonna go to thirty sets and work out like that because I think people who train like he does have an extreme, you know, tendencies in their personality. Yeah. So he might go way too far and like way overshoot the target. You know, instead of instead of you know um, thirty, try just doubling your sets. Yeah. Maybe adding two days of rest or something like that. So going from a two-way to a three-way or three-way to a four-way split and, you know, adding training every five days or every six days instead of every four or whatever it might be. So extending things out, adding a little more volume and just trying, trying that because you've got, with the age, you've got limited recovery resources. Whereas with your guys, and this is, you know, this works, especially with people who are coming into their prime, they don't know how much they can actually recover from and how much they can do, yeah. you know, and, and Nate's, Nate's not a, he's been at it for a long time. Nate's a veteran, but he recognized he had more left recovery wise. Yeah. That's why he did that. That's why it works. So the recovery has got to be there if the progress is going to happen. So you have to be, um, your, your, your thought is, is dead on, but you got to fit. It's the, the devil's in the dose as they say. Yeah. You got to figure out how to apply it for you. Right. Right. How much is the right amount? All right. I'll grab this one. I think. Yes. I'll grab this one real quick here. Um, by the way, I've shouted her out before, but shout out to Paige for having won her pro card this year. And um, she is definitely in the depths of off season because she's like, she's putting some muscle on. You can see it in her posing. Uh, her, like that she posts on Instagram and stuff. Uh, Scott, any way to reduce knee tenderness while also increasing quad days? I've been stretching, foam rolling. Uh, proper warm-ups. I use knee sleeves sometimes, but not trying to depend on them. Chiropractor and massage uh, as well every couple weeks. Am I missing anything? Is it a weak body part for me? I feel like mostly with hacks. I feel it mostly with hacks and split squats. I'm going to guess this is what we just, I just happened to have talked about. Um, it's a patellofemoral thing. Women tend to have that more than men. Really? Where, where the pain is under the kneecap. Yeah. Mm. Um, and that's going to make it harder. So um, maybe she can't even do knee extensions. Knee extensions tend to be the worst mm. for that. Um, so she said hacks and split squats. Um, split squats she can probably keep in and then – change her body orientation so it becomes more of a hamstring and her the length of her um of of her where, where her length of her stride so to speak how, how far her legs are, are split apart so where she's coming down making it a little more of a glute and hamstring activation issue because that's you know that's what most women want so it's actually it's actually good she's getting some stuff done because hopefully quads aren't just weak and everything else is okay it sounds like she's probably good as far as the glute and hamstring development which is where most women want to go um, so avoid the stuff that causes pain is what I'm getting at. So the split squats she could do if she can avoid pain when doing them, um, stretching the quad, um, would be something that could help in two ways. 
One, this is something they'll do for like generally patellofemoral syndrome for people is just main, make sure there's good flexibility there. You know, whether you can actually change flexibility, you probably can, especially um, because we almost never, or you can change flexibility. You're changing the, the length of the muscle literally because we almost never get into a, a true quote unquote hurdler type stretch where your, your, your glutes up at your heat, up at your butt and you're stretching out your quad and the hip extensors. Um, so a stretch like that could help because it gives, um, if, you've, if you've got a tight, um, if you have poor mobility of the patella over the knee, then it's not going to be able to go where it needs to go to keep it from, um, keep that irritation from happening. So this can, some people can actually be in a situation where the kneecap just doesn't ride correctly. Hmm. Um, and having some flexibility there gives the, the body some degrees of freedom, so to speak, for that thing to go where it's supposed to go. And that can, that can remedy patellofemoral syndrome in a big way. Hmm. Um, just as an aside, when people are doing leg presses, those sorts of things, you probably find this doesn't help with building the quad, but leg presses, um, especially driving with the heels, will tend to, tend to alleviate the pain. So she could still keep the hack squats in and drive more with the heels, but that that doesn't mean she, that doesn't help with the quad activation issue. Hacks um, are really popular now, and I feel like hacks do. They it depends on the hack squat too, but hacks tend to be yeah. one that really hits your knees a lot more. You know, especially if they have you plantar flexed, plantar flexed. So oh, the, yeah. the foot pad. The, there's um some people remember this somehow. In my uh, old gym back in Arizona, we had flex equipment. So we had a hack squat that was a great machine. Aside from the fact that the um, there wasn't the foot plate was not at a ninety degree to the plane of movement of the yeah of the hack squat. It was I don't know. It was like thirty degrees off of that. Huh. It was a knee destroyer. Huh. So it's just a knee wrecker. I went and actually bought a bore. I I made a wedge actually that we throw in there all the time. So you put like your toes on it to balance them to balance them. It was out. a it was a whole wedge of of board. So like let's say oh, let's say it was like this. Yeah. The, the wedge changed the angle to like that. I gotcha. So, so you were it forced you. You weren't you weren't um, plantar flex so much. You didn't have so much knee shear, and yeah. it didn't act. It wouldn't wasn't such a quad killer. Yeah, made it a really nice machine. You could drive more evenly, and it, it actually helped with stability. It felt felt better. Huh. But I, I couldn't even do those like because I tend to have patellofemoral issues if I'm not careful. I couldn't even do I couldn't even do a warm up set because they hurt so bad. Mm. And I, we we would just warm up through them and just do them, and my knees would be wrecked for yeah. like a week. Ugh. And finally, I'd come around to him. You know, we were doing DC, I think, at the time, and it'd be like, my knees would just be better by the time we come back around to him. Then I just wrecked my knees for a week. Oh gosh! So, avoiding exercise hacks like that, and she could actually put a. Um, sometimes you can get like plates. Someone can help you with this, or like a two by four, or a small wedge under the toe. Huh. When doing yeah. those hacks, it takes some of the loading off the quad, but that allow her to do those if she likes those movements. Yeah. Back to the stretches, though. The stretches can help with the patellar alignment, um, but she could also add in those quad stretches as a way to stimulate quad growth. Hmm. As and we talked about this just this podcast. So, and those are like that's that is if there's the one thing that people neglect the most in fortitude training is they just don't do the stretches. Hmm. I'd see this when I do the camps. People been doing it for a while and they just like, oh, I really never did the stretches. Do they do they matter? I'm like. Let me show you how to do the stretch. And they're like, holy shit, that was harder than the exercise, especially the quad stretch. Mm. So 
you get in one of those stretches like that and do an occlusion stretch with your heel back up against your butt. And I usually would take like um, the pad of a, like the round rolly pad that you have on a, some lat pull down machines yeah. or like a, a decline bench, something like that. That's about that height. So you can hook the, uh, would be the top side of your foot when your foot's back up at your butt on that. And then you can, you can, really drive your hips forward and stretch the hip flexors and the rectus femoris is one of your quad muscles and contract the quad while you're doing that. Get into that like as soon as you safely can after your last quad exercise and contract as hard as you can for 90 seconds. Most people can't even stay. If you've still got a pump, you can't even stay in there for 30 seconds because the pain's too much. Hmm. They have to stop. Just too, just too painful. That, um, when Dave Henry and I, when we were doing DC training way back when, the thing we both noticed and many people have is that brings out quad separation. Hmm. And I don't think it's like some crazy spot reducing type of thing. What I think that does, especially that stretch, because that's the one that we always use, it's one I pretty much always use for quads, is it activates the rectus femoris hmm. because it's stretched like that and you can activate it in that way um, in a lengthened position as well, which is good. And the rectus femoris, when it's when it's highly developed, is is largely responsible for that separation that you see between the rectus femoris and the lateralis and the medialis on either side, because you can imagine if if so, so sort of like mountains in a range, you've got peaks and valleys. If the lateralis and the medialis are on on either side, and then you've got a huge bulging rectus femoris running down the middle of your quad, that that well-developed muscle means that the groove between the muscles on either side of it, the medialis and lateralis, those are more prominent. Those are more evident. So doing those stretches can make, can give you better separation in your quads um, just by making the rectus femoris grow, which if she has knee pain, she may not even like want to activate as much. Um, It could be that because that one's lined right up in the middle of the patella yeah. So it's it has the best the best angle of pull for changing patellar alignment. It could be that her activation pattern is such that she doesn't use her rectus femoris very often. Hmm. Um, I don't know if she's li- listening. Was that a posted question today? That was or? on the you posted a thread. Okay. And it was on that thread. So she, I don't she's, think she's with us now. She's okay. But yeah. um so yeah, those are the things. And then all those stuff I mentioned about joint joint stuff would be a way a way to go. All right. Um you know, those joint things to get the knees healthy again. Cool. Let's get out of here. we got a lot of, a lot of good training talk here covered. Um, yeah, you know, got, I want to mention two guys. Uh, once again, check out byobbcoach.com because you can get Scott's book there. You can also check out his training plan, Fortitude Training. Uh, it's like 20 bucks to get the ebook for that. So check it out. Um, of course, go to our sponsors, truenutrition.com. Check out MPA Muscle Intrusion. And uh, check out uh, supplementsource.ca for you guys in Canada. You'll get some really good deals on some high-quality supplements. Scott Stevenson, as always, man. Bobby Nally. It has been a pleasure, my friend. Likewise. <laughs> yes, sir. 